This is Working Tech, where we talk about how tech can work harder so we can work better. Because hardly working isn't an option. And it was a little scary how how little information people were verifying about who I was before offering me a job in positions that put client information at risk and other employee information at risk. Hey, everybody, this is Kevin W. Grossman, creator and co-founder of the Working Tech Podcast and one of the co-hosts. Myself, along with co-founder and co-host Bill Bannum, welcome you to our new series where we'll talk about all things tech in the working world around us, including HR, recruiting, and related technologies. Our guests will include those who make the magic happen so we can all work better. Enjoy this conversation that my co-host Bill Bannum had with Nora Burns, founder of HR Undercover, hiring and new employee experience expert, consultant, and keynote speaker. Welcome to another episode of the Working Tech Podcast Show. I'm your host today, Bill Bannum, and today I am joined by Nora Burns. Nora, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on. It's a delight. I'm really looking forward to uh, this chat today. Um, I've I've watched a few presentations of yours, and uh, you've got some awesome stories. And um, <laughs> listeners, as you're going to find find out today, uh, Nora's taking a very unique approach to the whole candidate experience, and 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 also working in companies and what's that, what, what that really looks like and what it can really be like. And uh, we'll jump straight in by exploring your earlier career before beginning life as the undercover candidate. Well, um, well, I've been in human resources pretty much my entire existence post-college. I actually came into the profession while I was at college. I started out, Bill, along your lines. I, my initial major in college was printing and publishing management. So somewhere along the line, I took a, a, a straight turn, a little bit of a turn there, because I was working on campus and I started covering for my boss and helping out with hiring and, and orienting new employees and, and doing all of the HR responsibilities for the catering offices at the university where I was attending. And along the way, it occurred to me that there was probably a law or two that governed some of those things that I was doing. And it might not be a bad idea to sign up for the HR 101 class. And so I did. I enrolled and uh, Dr. Michelle Schrader happened to be my instructor and she's phenomenal. She had been a former director of HR and she was able to really put real life application into what the HR textbooks were saying. So it'd be like, this is what the book says. This is what really happens. Here's some scenarios and let's play with that a little bit. And so I just kept signing up for all of her classes. And before I knew it, I had a major in human resource management and each and then started taking different jobs across Madison, Wisconsin, actually. Well, I currently live in Denver, Colorado, and I've just moved my way back and forth between white collar and blue collar types of organizations up until I went out on my own in uh, 2007. So I've I've had a rich and diverse HR career along the way. Now I was reading on your website that uh, you mentioned that you were involved in the um, in, in employee attraction process, but you realised that it'd been ten years since you'd actually gone through the candidate experience yourself. So I, I'd I'd love now for you to uh, t- tell our listeners a bit more about what the under undercover candidate is and uh, what that whole story has been and how you've been involved in. I think over a hundred interviews, but I'm not going to say any more. 
Yeah, I know. It's, it's, um, this is where some people's jaws tend to drop a little bit. So it started because of professional curiosity. The undercover projects really started because I realized it had been, it'd been a decade since I had been in the job candidate position. And I work with a lot of organizations on developing their strategies and methodologies for hiring more effectively. And, and all of a sudden it occurred to me that I hadn't taken a 360 degree look at it essentially for a long time. And I thought, oh, I wonder, you know, I wonder if it is, if people are doing what I'm teaching, if they're, you know, kind of a thing. So some curiosity. So I committed to doing a handful of interviews. I focused on Colorado Springs. I live in Denver and it's about a 90 minute drive. So I thought it might be less likely that I would run into an HR professional that I know in that community. And so I did a handful of interviews in Colorado Springs for a couple different organizations. And after those first couple of interviews, I essentially was awestruck and was like, no, like, please stop asking people those questions. And are you really, are people really treating their candidates in this way? And why, why are you asking me things that are either illegal or unethical or right on that line type of a thing to make hiring decisions by? And then because of how my brain works, I needed more data because I realized I didn't have a good enough sample size with just these handful of interviews. And a lot of them were with smaller companies. So I thought I need a bigger, broader sample size. And so I committed to doing 100 job interviews across the country for positions ranging from part-time file clerk to director of operations for mom and pop shops for Fortune 200 companies. And not all within Colorado but rather coast to coast, partnered them often when I was going to speaking engagements. I knew that I was going to be speaking in Chicago. So I'd just direct a lot of applications and resumes to that market saying, I'm going to be in this town this week to do and available for interviews, et cetera. So yeah, it started a much bigger commitment to get a lot more data and a, and a bigger sample size to see what's really, what are the trends? What are people doing? What's really happening? And that's how the undercover candidate all, all came to be. They should make a show about this. It would be awesome. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, the cameras might deter people from asking me what they normally ask. And they, you know, and they just, it was, it was, it was very interesting because there were definitely some trends that picked up across small companies and big companies alike. And, and it was hard because one of the things, I, all of the undercover candidate work I did with fake names and fake resumes, right? So they were characters I developed because I didn't want somebody to Google as much as I tell people, please do not Google the names of your job candidates. I know that even though I'm telling people that consistently and other HR pros are telling people that consistently that it still happens. And so I developed five different characters and tapped into every ounce of theater training I've ever had in high school and college in order to um, play a role when I went in for those interviews. How, how clandestine did you get there in terms of trying to mask your dig digital uh, footprint? Uh, did you create, do you create like fake LinkedIn profiles and things with these different? It, it's personas? possible that I have a few different LinkedIn profiles. <laughs> it's it's definitely possible. Also, email addresses are free, right? So I have a plethora of different email addresses. I also own more burner cells than your local drug dealer. So I I have I have literally gallon size Ziploc bags filled with disposable cell phones that have on them the name and phone number and uh, 
basic information of whoever the phone is associated with, because each candidate needed their own number and and their own references, which is a whole nother thing. We spend, I spend a lot of time with organizations on that importance of background checking, and and it was a little scary how how little information people were verifying about who I was before offering me a job in positions that put client information at risk and other employee information at risk. To the extent that I was actually offered a position as a payroll clerk, where I would have access to everybody's, you know, social security information and tax information, et cetera. And the name and application that I filled out was all false information. And they offered me the position not contingent on any type of background check or verification of employment. And wow. And I would have had, I mean, and you have three, what is it, three days now to complete an I-9? You have three days here in the United States, the three days before you have to provide proof of eligibility to work in the United States. You know, that's the, the timeline, I believe, on that. And so I only need one day to get information, right? So some really scary things in terms of background checking. Hotels and restaurants, I do a lot of work in the hospitality industry. It's one of my target areas. I know a lot about that industry. And being offered positions as a housekeeper where I would have access to the room key for every room. And the only thing that was true on the application was the fact that I, I am, in fact, over the age of 18. Because <laughs> as it turns out, I didn't think I could fool them on that one. So, so yeah. <laughs> um, so, I, I think, am I right in saying that you still do this from time to time? The, I do. The undercover candidate and the undercover em- employer. So if that's the case, what do you what do you do these days? Okay, because maybe some people might recognize you at this point. Do, do you have like cool disguises and that kind of thing? So I don't. And what's amazing to me is, is we have such the, just how the brain works. There's, I'm so out of context when I'm interviewing for a position. Now, I don't typically, those who've seen me speak, I do keynote addresses and training for organizations and associations. And I'm just... I'm, I'm, it's not like I'm highly recognizable and I'm on, you know, TV all the time type of a thing. So I don't have that level of recognition, but I do tend to, I don't wear, I've, those of you who have seen me speak, I, I have big purple glasses that I wear and tend to dress in really loud colors. Now I don't wear the purple glasses when I'm interviewing. I, I tend to be a little bit more demure and fit in more naturally with whatever the role would require. but. I have done the keynote address at a large association conference. And when I do a, a keynote, if I have enough time in advance and I, we, one of the packages I offer is I mystery shop some of the people who are going to be present at that conference. So I'm speaking at the restaurant association and they can tell me who, is, who are the first you know, 20 companies that sign up we will go out and mystery shop those 20 companies so that I can have real knowledge of what's going on with the attendees who are at the conference, right? So I'd done that for this particular professional association conference. And I was standing there in front of them. And I said, there are three people in this room that I recognize, that I have personally sat across from an interview interview with in the last month. And I said, I'm not going to out anybody. But if you are one of those three people, and you approach me, you can send me an email, you can send me a text, you can call me, you can approach me at the conference. Anytime in the next two weeks, you reach out to me, I will offer you something that I that I don't do. And that is that I will give you your top three things 
that you could do to enhance your process based on my experience. Personally, your specific example. Only if you are one of those three and you recognize me kind of a thing. And one of them, I went up and I talked specifically at the table, like what I do my, as people are coming in and I'm talking with everybody as they're settling in and finding out what they really want from me to make sure I'm meeting their needs. And I said, is there anything unique, specific, like about this project, about this research that you, you're just dying to know? And it, they just, it did not click that two weeks before I was sitting in front of them interviewing for a completely different position. Now, I think if I had gone the other way, if I had done the keynote address and then I'd gone to interview in the month following, they would probably have recognized me. But I was so out of context. I was one of a series of candidates. And it wow. speaks to, yeah, right? For me, it speaks to the, it speaks to the dehumanization. I'm so sorry, what? Absolutely. It's it's just fascinating that they can differentiate based on those different situations, and perhaps you become non recognizable because of it. Yeah, well, I think it speaks to the dehumanization of our frontline workforce. I think it speaks to a phrase that I'm I I say a lot with my clients is we have to eliminate that I'm just a language. We get this. I'm just a I'm just a bartender. I'm just a cashier. I'm just a supervisor. I'm just a, I'm just a, I'm just a. People self-define that way on our front lines because we have treated that that way. And we have sent the message that you're just a. And I think a hiring process where you're going through and kind of dehumanizing, and I've got 15 minutes with this pe person and 15 minutes with that person, and we're, we're checking boxes instead of getting to know humans. And that's, I think that's how that happens that I was probably one of 20 candidates that that person spoke to. And it just didn't, I, <laughs> clearly I wasn't a standout candidate for them, <laughs> but they just, you know, we just kind of, it's all a wash of people. So I think it speaks to dehumanization of our front lines more than anything. Let's, uh, let, let's switch tack a wee bit now. And um, I'd, I'd like to get your insight to somebody who's applied for hundreds of different roles in, in terms of any technologies that you think have been pretty successful in, in getting you in front of the the hiring manager so I, I don't know do you have any do you have any preference of say LinkedIn over Indeed or over Monster and and the follow-up piece there I guess is I, I'd love to understand a bit about what you feel should be the limits with technology and automation within the recruiting and onboarding process. Right. I've used all of those, LinkedIn, Indeed, Monster, and, uh, and a series of others. And a lot of organizations, of course, have their, especially large organizations, internalize it all. And you need to go to their website in order to, to do their application type of a thing. So I think it depends on the position that, that it relates to. And I think all too often, our, our recruiting, our sourcing, our managers are heavily reliant on one tool instead of making sure that they're covering a, a variety of different aspects and, and how people might come to them. So clearly the tools that I used when I was applying for frontline positions and the tools I used when I was applying for director positions were different. Um, I used Indeed a lot more when I was looking for frontline positions. Um, I didn't exclude it for the director positions, but 
I think that there's the culmination. I think job candidates should be going to multiple different tools. And I think recruiters and people sourcing candidates should be using multiple different tools to reach out to their community. It does a couple things. One, it makes sure that you get some diversity of talent. And it's not just the people who are going to LinkedIn only or Monster only or what have you. The other is anything that you can do to make sure you're broadening your reach beyond people who think like you, act like you, behave like you, believe like you, right? So any opportunities where you can reach out in in other formats, I think is a good idea. I, I think that in my experience, what I found is that there were some organizations that did not use technology enough in that there were some opportunities to systematize, to make sure you didn't lose track of candidates, where I would have to call and say, hey, we talked about setting up a, a phone interview, but I haven't heard anything in a week. Oh, oh yeah, we need to get on that, right? And to making sure that you have a system so you don't lose track of people with the busyness that you have in your life. And then on the other side, we've become too reliant on technology in some organizations. A great, a great example for that is when you're hiring frontline customer service folks, and a lot of organizations are great at making sure they're tapping into their customers as potential candidates, right? So this just literally yesterday, I stopped at a Sprouts grocery store and, and I walk in and there's this beautiful sign that's absolutely true to their brand about the fact that our team is growing and you can apply online or come in and talk to a manager, right? Beautiful sign, excellent example, did it really well. Because as you know, I don't name the names of those people who don't do it well. On the flip side, I worked it, walked into a different organization that I will not name. And they're also looking for frontline customer service folks. And on that one, it said, we're looking for something like we're looking for friendly, fun people to apply. And then it gave you a website. And all I could think of is you're, you're looking for friendly, fun people who can talk to people one-on-one. And yet nobody in this operation is willing to talk to me one-on-one as a potential candidate. I have to go home and sit in front of my computer and do the online application where you get no idea of what my personality is. And so I think, on, I think that there's an opportunity to make sure that we're using both technology and human contact and to not do one at the exclusion of the other. I could talk for probably an hour and a half on this, so you might want to cut me off. I'm I'm interested, uh, you mentioned earlier that you work quite a lot in hospitality, hotels and and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I think that's quite, that could, maybe maybe it's not anymore, Um, but many years ago, I I was a barman when I was at university and things, and when I moved over to Canada, I I was a barman for a year. Um, And uh, I I seem to remember that situation, you were able to walk into a bar and show your personality, uh, as long as you went in between... uh, Usually two and five, the the, the quiet periods or first thing right. Morning, right to to chat to chat with the manager. But yeah, maybe maybe that's very much a, a dying relationship now, and it's limited to just hospitality. Yeah, and it's it's figuring out. It's fi- I think it's finding the balance between. I totally understand wanting the applicant track, and you want to have an an opportunity for somebody to do an online application for your tracking, especially large organizations, and the ability to actually have a conversation because right there you can have a conversation where somebody is either is now more excited to work for you 
or has realized that this isn't the fit for them. And it's one less applicant that you have application that you have to hold on to for X amount of months and years, depending upon your local regulations, right? And and you have the opportunity to turn that candidate into a customer. And all too often we separate our marketing to our customers and our relationship with our candidate when most of the time there's a pretty big overlap between those those groups, those pools of people. And I think we forget we don't have a conversation. Let's now let's now talk a bit about phase two of your amazing research. This involved you spending a year working undercover for a variety of large well-known organizations. So you actually saw through this 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 first uh, candidate experience stage and you, and you jumped in and you, you said, right, what's it actually going to be like? And you uh, you tell some pretty amazing tales of shame in the work in the workforce. Can, can you share a few of those with us? Oh, well, hey, there's so much shame in the workforce. It's, again, it's that dehumanization of our front line and, and treating them like the justice along the way. But yeah, I worked, actually, I, my initial goal was for a year, and I ended up working for 15 months, so slightly more than a year, 15 months, uh, undercover at five different Fortune 500 companies. And some of the big shame things, one I talk about in, uh, I talk about some of them in the Disrupt HR talk that I did in Oklahoma City in October of 2016 uh, about Maria broke the time clock and other tales of shame where Maria, um, Maria broke the time clock. She didn't actually break the time clock. So, you know, spoiler, sorry, she didn't actually break the time clock, but she did. There was a sign put on the time clock that said Maria, and it gave her identifying information, her last name and her department, broke the time clock. And it just Maria happened to be the person who was using the time clock or when it malfunctioned or who was the first person to step up and say, hey, the time clock's not working. And instead of saying, hey, thanks for letting us know we're going to get on it, her manager actually put a sign up on the time clock that, that gave her identifying information. And so she ended up getting so many negative comments all directed at her from, it was a very large operation from all of these other employees who now had to do paper forms to report their time. And oh, what a pain that was. But it all stemmed off of this, this manager who put up the sign. But there was public, um, you know, like on the sign-in sheet for work assignments, if, if somebody didn't report to work exactly on time, they would put in large red scarlet letters, right? uh, NCNS for no call, no show. So everybody would know because it's the same sign and sheet everybody used, or it would say on there that somebody was running late or that they, you know, that there were some other personal issue that they would disclose. There was a lot of like not protecting the confidentiality, but having write-ups for everything from your drawer not being at 100% accuracy, they're over or under type of a thing. And those write-ups would be sitting right where all the employees would check in. So everybody would kind of know what everybody was getting written up for. And, and there was just this hazing thing that happened as a result of it. But I was amazed at how much just public shaming there was of people in, in on the front lines of of organizations, because let's accept the fact that it's been more than a few years since I worked in a, in a frontline, you know, minimum wage plus less than a buck kind of position. It's been since my early 20s that I'd done that until this exercise. So it was surprising. 
Well, I think if you ever decide to become a pop star, Nora <laughs> Broke the Time Clock could be the uh, <laughs> title for a song. <laughs> I quite like that. I think it, it could be quite catchy. Maybe, maybe folk. I'm not. I'm not sure. A little maybe um, a Lindy indie rock plus folk kind of in there. Yeah. As a former percussionist, yeah. there would have to be some major drumming kind of action. So, am I am I hearing from you? There's a significant percentage of offices out there which are kind of a bit like the comedy show The Office. Oh yeah. Oh no. It, it's way too close. It's there's. It's way too close. There and there were moments where I would think, I feel like I'm being filmed. I feel like somebody has discovered that I'm doing this undercover research and they're just setting up scenarios to see how I respond. And it just, it, there were a lot of circumstances because once in a while, you know, I've been doing working with frontline managers and with HR, you know, being partners with internal HR pros for a long time. And, and at some point you kind of think, well, maybe people know this, maybe they, maybe we figured this part out. And what I've really learned is, is there's still a lot of work to be done. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. We are coming towards the end of this particular interview. Uh, a couple of, couple more questions before we wrap things up. Firstly, as this is a tech show in many ways, um, can you just do a quick shout out to two or three tools that you've used in the past that you like connected with recruitment, onboarding and training? Yeah, well, I'm a I'm a big fan of systematizing. Again, not to the extent that you dehumanize the process. So having a Absolutely. solid, so yeah, without dehumanizing it, making sure that we systematize so we we keep track of people, we don't lose lose anybody in the process. A solid human resource information system that meets your particular organization's needs, but also includes applicant tracking, uh, I think is key. And over the course of my career, I've helped you know organizations I worked within to select those. And and the one that you need is going to vary if you're a 200 person company versus if you're, you know, 2 million person company, there's very different systems kind of in play. Before we wrap things up today, Nora Burns, uh, please, can you tell us how we can learn more about you? Um, you can connect with me on Twitter. My Twitter account is at Nora Burns, N-O-R-A-B-U-R-N-S. Definitely find me on LinkedIn under the same name, Nora Burns, and my HR Undercover website hr-undercover.com and I'm getting better at adding some more blog material there so we'll be seeing more and more and there people can sign up to get insights tips and insights both from the from the hiring perspective as well as the onboarding perspective which are really my two sweet spots okay awesome well that just takes me to the end of the show and for me to say Nora Burns thank you for being our guest today Thank you so much for having me and letting me totally geek out. And listeners, remember that the next time you're in the hiring process looking to bring somebody in, Nora Burns could be there. So just make sure that you're being nice. And <laughs> <laughs> I've been your host, Bill Bannon. This has been The Working Tech Show. Until next time, happy working. We'll be back with more Working Tech soon. Until then, be good and work better. Brought to you by ReachWest Media and the HR Gazette. Working Tech Rocks. Because how do you work
Say it again. Because <laughs> hardly, hardly working. working. One more time. Because hardly working. Because we know. <laughs> Say because hardly working isn't an option. Because hardly working is not an option.